This episode is brought to you by Revolver Studios, Portland's own homegrown recording studio and music production house, run by musicians for musicians. Revolverstudios.org. This is the Portland Film Podcast, and I'm your host, Molly Silverstein. Today, we have our final screenwriting series recorded at the 2016 Portland Film Festival with part one of the How to Comport Yourself in Hollywood workshop. Panelists include Leslie Dixon and Miguel Tejada Flores. Our panelists share tips about how to navigate those important, high-profile Hollywood meetings. One quick note before we begin. You will notice brief pauses throughout the workshop as the audience asks questions, and also some of the language used during the workshop may not be suitable for young listeners. And now, here's our panel. I'm Miguel Tejada Flores. Yep, that's my name. If you spell it, you get a deal with my Bolivian American production company. No, uh, I write screenplays too, and before that I labored in the fields of the metaphorical lord, or I read scripts and was a suit, or as they say in Spanish, pendejo en corbata. And um, I write a lot, and one of the writers I nearly worked with years ago and read when I was idealistic was a great writer, and here's who she is. Miguel was my first meeting in Hollywood, and it is a complete coincidence that we're both here. We have not seen each other in decades, and uh, that was many years ago, and the very first meeting where my agent called up and said, oh, somebody read your script and wants to meet, so that was really exciting, and uh, I would call him my first fan. Um, so that's that just you know is so t- tickles me endlessly that we can do this today uh, together. So um, this this uh, little seminar is for people uh, who want to know what it's like once you get a tiny nibble or a little bit of traction with a piece of material. You know, most of these are all about writing it, about how to make it good, about I. I talked yesterday about what you do with it when it's finished, um, how to get people to read it and all of that. It's okay if you weren't here yesterday to ask some questions along those lines, but this is principally going to be about, okay, the gate has opened for you a crack and you, you know, maybe you've gotten an agent, maybe you've gotten a manager, you know, anyway, you're down there and you're starting to meet people and how does that all work? Um, Your personality is going to turn out to be as important as your work. Um, I know that sounds strange. I mean, your work will get you in the door, but um, hopefully you're an outgoing, because you are a writer, right? You're an outgoing, um, relatively sociable kind of person because um, a lot of the qualities that people find obnoxious or overbearing in real life can be incredible assets. You know, if you project a certain amount of self-confidence and humor, Um, And being a high-energy, fun person is unbelievably helpful. Um, So if you, let's just start with, you know, like getting your first meeting. Somebody wants to meet with you, a manager maybe, or an agent. Let's start there. Let's pretend you don't have those people yet, but somebody has read your script and is interested in helping you sell it or represent it. So there's that aspect of it. And then we'll talk a little bit about let's say you've gotten a representative and what happens when you get down there. Um, first, uh, wherever you stay, try to make it central because Los Angeles has probably the worst traffic problem in the country. It can take you two hours at rush hour to get from point A to B that would normally take 20 minutes. 
it's unbelievable. I cannot imagine the city planning gone awry that led to this state. It was not like that when I moved to Los Angeles. People plan their lives around traffic there. Their lives. I mean, and, and even just having dinner with a friend is difficult. So don't stay in some far-flung place like Long Beach because a friend gave you a couch because it'll take you hours and hours and hours to get around um, and investigate traffic before you go there, like patterns and what's really bad and what time it starts because you don't want to be late for your first professional meeting because you had no idea. Um, I know I wasn't even going to talk about that, but it suddenly occurred to me if I first got there for the first time, um, and I've I've had meetings down there with directors and people that have been flown in from New York and rented a car, and they're half an hour late to the meeting because they just had no idea that it was going to take that long um, at that time of day. So uh, it's always be punctual is always a good first thing to do. Okay, so as far as agents and managers, and you can grab this from me at any point you want, Miguel, um, are concerned, there is a general sort of person that, you know, they call it giving good meeting, you know, and, um, you know, you need to have social skills. Um, people deciding to work with you are going to be having a long-term relationship with you, whether it's a studio executive or your agent or whatever. And if you are painfully shy, can only choke out two words, um, or look visibly scared, uh, it's not the way you do it. And you've got to talk yourself up. You almost have to just tell yourself, um, anybody who has low self-esteem has to completely hide it, okay? You want to go in there all bouncy and happy and, hey, how's it going? And not look scared um, and not project victim cringing, I'll do anything men you know, mentality. Because even if you're feeling that inside, um, everybody loves a winner, right? And if you haven't even won yet, you have to act like one. Um, I always just instinctively projected this demeanor of, oh, it's so fun to be here and this is so great, because it was. I mean, I was inside the tent, finally. Um, and there's just this line between self-confidence and arrogance, okay? And it would even be better to err on the side of arrogance than on the side of shyness. <laughs> but you just have to seem like somebody that, God, it would be just so great if I got this job. I love this project, but always act like you have three or four other things on the back burner or something else is going on. Or um, just don't look desperate ever. And in another, another way to say something similar but different, unless it's different but similar, is when you're going on a meeting with the agent or the manager or the suit or the producer and you think you're a writer or a filmmaker, you're actually not. You're an actor. You're auditioning. So the meeting is your human being audition. And if the person likes you and wants to have a representation arrangement with you, or if they want to do your project, or if they're interested in your script or your film, it's not just going to happen in that meeting. It's not going to happen in five minutes. It's not going to happen in 30 minutes or however long you're being allotted. If actually you go into business with this person, it's going to happen in a bunch of repeated meetings with them. And from the person's perspective, me, I'm putting on my suit hat now or my producer hat, I think I, that there's part of me that wants to know that if I'm going to have, if I'm, if I'm hiring you to write a script, which I'm interested in and you p are going to do a good pitch, 
it's not just going to be this pitch. It's going to be a bunch of communication between us over weeks, months, possibly longer. I want to sense that I'm able to talk to you, that you can talk to me, that you can hear what I'm saying, that you can answer me in ways that aren't pat, aren't formulaic, that you can think on your feet, that you can do a whole bunch of things. So it's the beginning of a whole bunch of things, and I'm not just going to judge you on whether you have a good story or not, or whether you have a nice pair of shoes. I'm going to judge you on and your energy level. You have to be, I'm going into a relationship with you, and there's a bunch of complex things. And if I really am uncomfortable with you, or hate you, or don't like you, which can happen too, or I think you're maybe a great writer, but you're sitting there like a clam, and you can't say a word, man, I don't know if I want to hire you to write a script. So... Right, because the executive, if he's a good executive or she, uh, will want to brainstorm with you sometimes. I mean, there might be, you know, the right kind of executive might find something in your script that isn't working, and you kind of know in your secret heart of heart it's not, and the two of you can brainstorm a little bit to figure out how to fix it. Um, so who in here thinks that they're socially fairly adept? It's okay to... Most of you, that's good. Because a lot of writers, you know, it, it's a funny business because on the one hand, you have to be able to spend a shit ton of time by yourself in front of your laptop. And on the other, you have to be the life of the party when you go into a meeting. And it's hard to find people that are introverted and extroverted that way. And that's that's one of the best things you can be if you're a writer. Better to err on the side of slickness than, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. It's totally right. Um, you have to go into the isolation chamber one day and then the next day just, you know, knock their socks off in a room. Um, as a basic loudmouth myself, I was pretty well suited to go in and talk to people. Talking has never been an issue for me um, at, at the end of the thing. So what... Um, you guys can ask questions at any point you want. This is completely informal, and I'm happy to answer them. But so in terms of getting an agent or a manager, I'm presuming you're in L.A. or quite possibly New York, but don't kid yourself. New Yorkers think there's a major film business thing going on there. There really is not. Um, the major agencies have outposts there, but that's what they are. They're outposts. Um, and a lot of places that production companies that used to be headquartered in New York have shuttered. It's not really a film production nexus. It's probably the next biggest one to LA, but a lot of kids graduating from college are wondering if they want to get into film, whether they should go to New York or LA, they should go to LA. Um, it's just, and it's nearer to where you are, so that's good. Um, and then, you know, the question of how to get an agent or manager, that is, the thorniest, most difficult part of the whole thing. It, it's, it's, it can be as easy as somebody knows somebody and, you know, bludgeons them into reading your script, or as hard as knocking on doors for the better part of a year. Um, but getting an agent or a manager, in case you don't know, is an absolute necessity. Okay, that is what is going to, I used this metaphor yesterday, lower the drawbridge so you can walk into the castle. Those are your, those people are your umbilicus to work. They circulate your work, they talk you up, they get you meetings, and you're, you're good to go. So let's talk a little bit about how you can get an agent or a manager, okay? Because I knew from talking to people when I got down to LA that that was just, 
absolutely critical. Um, and the way I got one probably wouldn't work anymore um, because you literally had to go place to place, knock on doors. Well, what, what happened, I, I think I told somebody this yesterday, but um, I had a writing partner and he was a really cute guy. He was about 23 and he went to a florist and he got one of those little cards with baby breath on it that have no writing on it and stole it, stole the card and then typed in a old typewriter with sort of a faint ribbon um, and put this on card on the script so that, and then he went from agency to agency, little agencies, because he figured, and this still would hold, you have a much better chance of getting attention from a small agency or management company when you're starting out than a really big one. For one thing, they probably won't sign you anyway. Um, and for another, uh, if you're one of a stable of up and coming clients by a young, hungry agent, um, you'll get more attention, right? Because they're building their client base. So don't be afraid of going with an agent or a manager that's relatively new at this because they'll work four times as hard. They're building their client base. And I, I signed initially, but anyway, he left this little card on top of the script, paper clipped to it, and it said, Barry Berman, and then in quotes, Jew. That's what it said. And it was just sort of a joke, but the card was funny and it was just different and it got the attention of, so the, and he flirted with the receptionist shamelessly. God, that's a tongue twister. But, um, and anyway, she just thought it was funny and gave it to one of the agents whose eye was caught by the Jew thing. Of course, everyone in Hollywood is a Jew anyway. She was a Jew and she looked at it and went, oh, that's kind of funny. I'll give it five pages. And then she wanted to represent us and then she sold it. Okay, so she was brand new at all of this. She'd only been doing it for about a year and a half. And he had some, my writing partner had some reservations about somebody that was so new at the thing. But I just felt tremendous hunger from her, you know, to get it. She, she just said the magic words, which is, I can sell this. And I thought, she seemed really confident about that. And she was right. She was right. Well, she did sell it. And it was our first script, you guys. So, you know, but now um, the internet is really your friend where these things are concerned. Um, and I say this to every seminar, but there's all these legitimate screenwriting contests. They are not Ponzi schemes. They are not frauds. There's some that are not, but the internet will tell you. Nichols Fellowship from Disney, very prestigious if you win or place in that. Final Draft, which is the screenwriting software you should be using, and pro hopefully are, has a legitimate contest as well. And uh, Sundance will is the champion of new voices, and they have a contest every year. And there are others. But what I've said to everyone is if you win or place in one of those contests, you will get an agent or manager. They are trolling. To, it's a great thing because it sifts out a lot of crap and bring some better scripts to the attention of the of the community. Do you want to add anything to this? No, not yet. Not yet. Okay. So um that's that's the surest route, okay, to, to getting rep represented. Um and then the question becomes do I need to be in LA? Well if you get a little traction, you absolutely do need to spend a lot of time down there. And it would be better if you lived there. Um but uh you know, that's all a decision only you can make. But you will have to go there. You will have to hang out there. So this, um, let's pretend that you have found an agent or a manager. Uh, but don't be afraid if it's a young person who's building a client base. I, I think that's the absolute best route for a newcomer. You'll get five times the attention. Yes? 
Well, okay. Agents, managers have a shadier and stranger definition of what they do than agents. Agents are licensed. There are certain rules of behavior or they can be agent disbarred um, and they cannot produce. Managers can produce and it gets a little tricky there because, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a conflict of interest because they can slap themselves as the producer onto your movie and not only take a commission from you, but... Um, but get a big fat fee if it gets made. So you have to kind of keep an eye on whether they're really trying to serve their own interests entirely or yours. But um, that said, you might be able to make a deal going in that if, if there's a producing credit on any of your movies, you're not paying the commission, right? Because that guy is then making $400,000, you know, as a producer or, or woman. Um, managers tend to be more hand-holding, personal, They'll listen to you whine and bitch on the phone for half an hour. Uh, agents will never do that, nor should you try. Um, and they tend to, so so if you're deeply neurotic and need a lot of hand holding, you know, and, and a manager, you don't necessarily need both. I know some very successful writers who have had both from the beginning. <coughs> it's um it's something people do, and uh, it is twenty percent of your income out the window. It also helps, let's continue to vamp on what Leslie's, this Pandora's box or door she's opened up if you're communicating with your agent or your manager who will provide vital representation for you. And is it someone in a large agency, a much bigger one? Is it someone in a smaller agency? Is it a one-person boutique shop? There's every stripe of agent possible. There are agents who are loquacious, who squeak, speak a lot. There are agents who are minimalistic and Hemingway-esque in their communications with you, who limit themselves to a few short words, who just want to talk about the deal. Then there's agents who are like your literary friend, and they're all over the map. So part of your job, well, hopefully you're looking for representation, and it really helps if someone likes your work. If they don't like your work, you've got a problem. Um, because I think Maybe this isn't totally true, but I think they better like your work to be able to sell it, or at least they better think they like it, or be able to say they like it. No, they, they need to yeah. think that they will like it, that, that the buyers will like it. Yeah, so so there's all kinds of agents, and there may be multiple agents. So, so you're looking for an agent, and if someone likes it, that's pretty good. But it's also incumbent upon you when you go to meet with this person, and there may be multiple agents. This may be a hard task to do, and it may apply more later on when you meet with directors or other people who want to do your material, which is easier, it would help if you, before you go to meet with this agent who may be one of several agents, if you know something about them, if you educate yourself about their clients, about their interests, about what they like and don't like, about what kind of material they have represented in the past, if you can come in and have a thoughtful and articulate conversation where you reveal to them that actually you have cared enough about who they are to understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to find out about oh, agents, though, about like like that information. It's much easier to find out about us writers. We're on the IMDb. We've given yeah directors. Yeah, we've given interviews about uh, you can look them up in newspapers and things like that. Agents keep a very low profile. CAA, the biggest agency, the agents are not allowed to draw attention to themselves. When a big deal happens, they ne they don't mention the name of the agent. So I, I that's a great idea, but I don't know how the hell you're going to find out. Uh, unless you know somebody who knows this person. But, I mean, let's face it, anyone who wants to represent you is better than nothing, right? I mean, if it's one person, you're going to go with them no matter what. You know, you can always change later. 
Um, well, did you have more? Yeah. Oh. No, no, no. no. Um, but it is hard to get that information. Um, agents are not supposed to draw the spotlight to themselves. But anyway, the agent or manager, I mean, if you, the thing that they'll do for you is essentially the same. Um, you know, circulate your material, try to get you a deal. Managers are not technically allowed to negotiate, but if somebody wanted to buy something of yours, you would get a lawyer anyway. Uh, and there goes another 5%. Um, but so the lawyer could do the negotiation if you only had a manager, and that would be fine. Lawyers are good at it. Um, so the agent or manager question, the, it really comes down to the person and how comfortable you feel and how enthusiastic they are about you and your work. Whichever comes forward in your life first, it's fine. You know, um, The one advantage to having an agent over a manager, the one, is if that person's at a pretty big agency, you have access. They they love to package, which means you know get their other clients all on the same film. So, I mean, Limitless was I was very much helped for once by CAA, my agency, because they had Bradley Cooper, you know, and he was looking for something a little more meaty than a stupid romantic comedy, and they had the director that Neil Berger that ended up directing the movie, who had done The Illusionist and some things that are quite good. So it was really easy if it's if you're under a big umbrella like that, they're highly motivated to put you together with their other clients and package and sell the whole movie. Here's the director, here's the script, here's the thing. That's really kind of useful. Um, but a large agency like that probably wouldn't serve you all that well when you're first starting out. They wouldn't pay the personal attention. You might be one of 50 clients, you know, that somebody has as opposed to one of 14 um, at a smaller place. So I, I generally advise people, unless they have a real personal connection, to try to start with a smaller agency or hungry. That's what you want. You want a representative who's hungry to, to make deals, okay? Not who already has booked, you know, uh, $10 million worth of business before you even walk into their office. So newer agent, enthusiasm, doesn't matter if it's agent or manager in the beginning. And then later, only you can decide if you want to have both. Um, I I know people who have been very well served by that. It does seem like some of the biggest, most institutionalized names in Hollywood, the guys who do superhero movies, franchises, um, they are really the high rollers, you know, and they feel that the money that they bring in from these deals um, is well worth paying 20% to two different people who are just talking them up left and right everywhere. I haven't done it. Um, I, I don't know why. I guess because I was able to get work anyway with just an agent, so I never had anything but an agent. But I've noticed a really pretty significant success among people who have both. It just seems like you have twice the firepower. Um, if you do that, it's important that your agent and manager get along or one of them is going to have to go from your life because if they both have completely different ideas about what you should be doing and with whom, um, you know, you don't want to be in the middle of a tug of war between these two, these two people. Um, but does everybody understand the difference between an agent and a manager? It's subtle, right? But managers can produce. Um, that can be good or bad for you. It's not necessarily a conflict of interest. It just could be. So these are things to watch out for. Okay, so, okay, yes? Well, the way that you would diplomatically leave a job of any kind. I mean, you know, 
Um, generally, the reason that writers leave agents is because they are not responsive enough. They don't return your calls fast enough. When you call your agent, you don't get a call till three days later. Um, that's not that good. It's not good. So 95% of the time that writers leave agents or managers is because of inattentiveness, which means they're not going to be very upset, right? They're kind of giving you the hint they don't give a shit. <laughs> so you're not going to say anything that's going to upset them that much because they don't care that much, right? And then there's the other weird 5% of reasons. Like, like Lori, who was on the panel the other day, had an agent that tried to, a manager that tried to cheat her out of money. Um, you know, that, that woman is lucky she didn't get uh, nailed legally. Um, so there's rare instances of things like that happening. Um, and there's another thing I'll mention which agencies and managers really like and which I rec recommend resisting, which is a lot of writers have the entire fee paid to the agency and the agency deducts 10% and pays it on to you. Why? Why can't it go directly to you and you just pay 10% like the next day? And I've arranged to do it that way because there are stories out there of the manager um, telling the client that the deal was less than it really was and then the money goes to him or her and they pocket the difference. I, I've, I know that it's happened. Um, I recommend having the money delivered directly to you and you pay the commissions yourself. Um, I, I don't quite know how that practice got started of someone else's money going through an agency when the check should be made out to you. It's very strange. Um, so the other 5%, uh, they're very, you know, there can be dishonesty. There can, you know, which you don't want to, I don't think you want to confront an agent with, you know, when you, when you discover duplicity or dishonesty, um, unless, you're really established, you know, and it w won't hurt you at all. Just, you know, you may, if, if you think they're really dishonest, you gain nothing by saying you dishonest fuck, you know, it just, you gain nothing. I mean, you just have to quietly slither away and just say, you know, I just, the way you would quit a job, I'm, I'm sorry this isn't working out for me, you know, I wish you all the best. And your inner dialogue is going, you're lucky you're not in jail, you know, um, but, you know, Lori was pretty established, but she didn't feel comfortable uh, hurtling around accusations and making a big scandal about this woman um, whose whose husband was also a litigator. <laughs> so you didn't want to get into those kind of tangles. Um, and studios are a big corporate machine these days, as are some agencies, and they have huge legal departments. And even if you're right and you start making accusations, so that 5%, the chance of that happening is unbelievably low, though. It's probably going to be inattention, in which case they won't care. That's all that is. So congratulations. Now you have an agent or a manager. Just get the champagne out, let, you know, the bubbly or go to the grow and, you know, smoke one or two. And now you're set and you're set for some real meetings. Your agent or your manager, they're going to send you on meetings. And they're probably going to send you on two generic kinds of meetings. I'm being vague and generic, but they may send you and they're pushing you in your work. And they will send you to meet with people who you have a really cool script and someone, producer, executive, combination between likes it and is interested in it, that's one kind of meeting, or someone likes your writing but is not interested in it but likes you as a potential person to do business with and wants to have a meeting with you. And those are two totally different kinds, which kind of cover most of the occasions in between. 
of the kind of meetings your agent and manager will get sent on? Which is more likely, you think? I think, yeah, I mean, it's true. I, I, in the very beginning, I had both those kinds of meetings. But you don't really have to have a meeting to sell your first script, because generally that happens without you having to do anything. You've already done the work of the script. The script speaks for itself. The agent sends it out. Um, let's say you're one of the lucky people where two people want to buy it, and there's a bidding war. Woohoo! But they don't need to meet you to make an offer on your script, because the work is what they're buying. And if they don't like you, they'll fire you and bring in another writer later. Except I got to disagree with that because they may really like a bunch of the potential of your script and they don't think the script is there yet but they want to own it actually they want to develop it and part of the purpose of the meeting is to see whether you were in sync with them and you're able to either make it better or make it what they need or make it what they want and you can get into all kinds of you know I mean hey if you're lucky it's great if they want to buy it and go for it but then they may start you know but in this day and age, um, generally speaking, there's a lot of deals made that do not guarantee you the first rewrite. It used to be that the writer of the script was guaranteed a rewrite before they could fire you. They're now making what they call one-step deals where they don't necessarily need to keep you. And so if they see potential in your script, they might buy it. And then the next day you discover they have no intention of letting you write the next draft. So their decision to buy it is not so much going to hinge on whether you're cool or not um, but the but but Miguel is right that it can be the potential of the material in which case that would be a lower offer or realized potential you know this is this is a script we can make now um, so they'll only have that kind of a meeting if you have some step in your contract that guarantees you the first rewrite because then they want to know if you're a yutz or what um, so yeah, but unfortunately deals have changed now where it's really hard to get that kind of guarantee of the first rewrite. Yes? Well, if you sell a script to a Writers Guild signatory, which is all the major studios and all the minors too, um, there's little fly-by-night production companies that are completely outside any kind of guild you know, purview, but if you're lucky and you get to a WGA signatory company, there are minimums that the union, the writers' union, the writers' guild have uh, established. And I believe these days the least they can buy a script for is like about $140,000. So, like right away, the bare bones minimum is more money than most people have ever gotten in one chunk in their lives, right? So it's a good guild for that reason. It has established minimums and they can't pay you less than that. Yes, but. <laughs> but it is a stupid question because if you look at film production as a whole, both in this country and in a whole bunch of other countries, there are a lot of movies made which are not Writers Guild. They're not many other guilds too. And those movies have writers and the writers are getting paid for those movies. The writers may be receiving percentages of their relatively minuscule budgets. They may be receiving even less than percentages. And it's all over the map. Yeah. So should you get a guild a more legitimate company which does has guild deals and is guild signatory, that's cool. Odds are you may not, and there are a lot of non-guild deals, and then the answer to the question is, who the hell knows? Who the hell has a clue? But honestly, the producer who's putting the movie together, they have to put a bunch of money into the physical production, they have to buy a star, they have to do a bunch of stuff. Way down on their list in their mindset is giving any money whatsoever to the writer because fuck, I mean, you know what I mean? Sorry. So, and that may be a deal, and if you think that's true here, it's true in other countries in a, 
in a different way, and there are many international co-productions, and blah, 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 and there you go. So no one really knows. And and just to come back to the other thing, to go back to the notion of someone sends you on a meeting because they want to buy your script, except they're not, and they really like your script. God, they love your script, and they want, I think they want to buy it, but I'm not sure if they want to meet with you. Well, actually, and this gets, now you get into these interesting it's not black and white. There's all these interesting gradations of grays. They really like it, but are you able to actually transform it and change it into certain other kinds of, can you take this time travel story and make it a deeply powerful love story? Or can you do this to it, or can you do that to it? It sounds sort of like a writer's nightmare, but it's not. There can be legitimate reasons, but you may find yourself coming back to how you're going to comport yourself in the meeting. You may find yourself coming into a meeting which you thought, God, they love my script. They actually want to shoot my script. And actually, they may love the idea of your script and parts of your script, but they want to know if, for example, you can think your way out of a creative problem which they see, if you're able and willing to take deep breaths and do mental and creative gymnastics, if you can do them on the spur of the moment or not, and if you're even willing to consider things. Are you willing to, like, hey, this is a great script you wrote. Eh, it happens in 1947. We need, we can't do a film in 1947. We have to change it. If we change it, number one, can you do it? Number two, what will that involve? Number three, da, da, da. Number four, and perhaps the most important, are you willing to embrace the idea and come in and say, wow, change it, cool, or are there legitimate reasons not to? How are you going to react to that? And how will those reactions make the meeting play and make them react to you creatively and as a potential partner? I mean, that, that happens all the time. Yeah, it's true. Go on. No, well, they, they, residuals are not commissionable, okay? And this would be for a Writer's Guild deal where they sell the movie over and over again, and you get a percentage of that. And you really do see the money, too. It, it, it can't be creatively accounted out of existence. And uh, boy, would agents love to get 10% of that, because that can add up. If you write a movie that people have actually seen, that can add up to hundreds of thousands of dollars over a 10 to 20-year period of residuals. I get enough money from residuals to, to live. Like, I don't need to work anymore because of residuals, okay? If you get a few movies made and, you know, through the WGA process. But I know people who, like, like Miguel says, who labor for years in the shadows of those guild deals and major studios and all that kind of stuff. And your goal, if you want to be a self-supporting writer, obviously, is to springboard out of that into the world of minimums, healthcare, pension, and all the groovy things you get from being a Writers Guild member. Oh, and determination of credit, which is completely the purview of the writers. The studios have nothing to say about it. It's, you know, if there's a contest for credit because of uh, you being rewritten or somebody rewriting you, the Writers Guild decides. And there's rules, arbitration rules, as to what you have to contribute to a script to get credit. And uh, we're very lucky that's there because in the shadow world of low budget production, um, you're not protected at all. And if somebody writes three lines in your script that you didn't, the producer might be sleeping with that woman and gives her shared credit on your script. And there's not a damn thing you can do. Yes, well, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, those are those are pre-tax dollars, though. I mean, those are deductions, and you you, you pay one and a half of your and a half of percent to the WGA, um, but with that you get high-tier Blue Cross, a pension plan, protection of your credits, residuals policing, events screenings, uh, all sorts of little goodies. And but the main the pension is huge, uh, huge. Um, it's it's just a it's a fabulous pension plan. Okay, I'm going to get so much money. I said I told people yesterday. I'll tell you guys again. My husband and I. He he was a professional screenwriter for about 20 years. I've been doing it for about 30. Um, our combined pensions are going to be $21,000 a month. Okay, from the Writers Guild. That's not including Social Security or any of that kind of stuff. Okay, and my health care because of the number of years I've been writing is for life. After I finish, I still get it. So those are just huge things. And um, so you definitely want to get into the real world. But let's face it, anything that comes to you or that you make happen where you can get a production on its feet, it's bent over time. You know, I mean, just say yes. You know, don't wrinkle up your nose. Your first one, you just have to be the most agreeable person on the planet. And you can develop an attitude and push back a little later. But right now you're trying to get into this business and get established. Thanks for listening to the Portland Film Podcast. Join us again next week as we continue our screenwriting series with part two of the How to Comport Yourself in Hollywood workshop. If you enjoyed this week's episode, you can subscribe on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or visit us at theportlandfilmpodcast.com. The Portland Film Podcast is a Portland Film Festival production produced and edited by Misty Eddy. Our associate producer is Sean Conley sound engineer Paul Dillon, and I'm Molly Silverstein. See you next time.